You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, we finally made it, kids. We made it to another round number, episode 180 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We are supported by GameAt.eu and our fantastic Patreon patrons. You can join at patreon.com slash pimpcron. So today we are discussing, um, we have a slightly weird episode. We have a test rock mailbox from Fire Lord Ozai, and he says that he hates space marines. And we have a real talk, which is actually kind of a want that, want that not, about the Games Workshop White Dwarf magazine. And I give a full review of what it's like now, because I quit looking at them probably three, four years ago, and I have not been back since. But I have extremely fond memories of the old ones from like the late 90s and early 2000s. So we'll see whether or not it's worth your time and money, because they are not cheap. What have I been up to? Well, last week, I actually forgot to mention my game at the club. It was me and my buddy TJ, um, Our Grey Knights versus the new Tau Codex. One of the players, Kevin, uh, has Tau, and he got the new Codex, and he wanted to try out all the new nonsense, and I was pretty positive we were smoked. Like, in the very first turn, he, he was putting some heavy damage down, but to be honest, he made some strategic errors, and uh, we made good use of Smite and some other powers, so um, my my purifiers really laid into him. It was it was pretty delicious, but um, anyway, we, TJ and I did some fancy footwork. We were dancing all around. We were getting the objectives. We played pretty darn well, and we ended up beating him fairly significantly, 60 to 40, something like that. Um, it was a, it was a pretty decent win for us. And I was pretty shocked because that first turn I was pretty positive. I'm like, Oh, this new Tau codex must be pretty nuts. But come to find out they've got no defense against psychic. And, uh, I mean, I already knew that I'm just being facetious and, uh, we did pretty well. So I was really proud of myself. Then this week at the club, I, um, I played, Oh, we're have a uh, doubles tournament coming up at the end of the month in Pennsylvania and with our buddy Steel Thunder Mike and uh, the Burks group, and they are buddies through Shorehammer. We know them through Shorehammer, so he has that. So me and my friend Goatman, which has been on the episode before, um, we are teaming up Necrons, and uh, we played a playtest game against our buddies Just James and Derek that both are teaming up, and they're playing um, Death Guard and Chaos Demons. And we did pretty well against them. I don't actually recall the score. It was like 60 to 50 or something. It was a pretty tight game. It didn't feel like a tight game because we seemed to be kind of dominating them the whole game. Um, it would not have been so strongly in our favor to begin with if they had not held back their great unclean one and 20 plague bearers. They, Derek held them in deep strike and James is like, don't hold them in deep strike, but he did it anyway. And Lo and behold, we did really good board coverage, and we spaced it out so that the Great and Clean one could not deploy anywhere in our half of the board, like, for three or four turns. I think he finally came in on turn four? I think it was turn four. And he practically was in his own deployment zone. And see, that's what happens when you play against players that are not willy-nilly or whatever. And, um, but anyway, towards the end, they were racking up some more points. So I think we beat them by like 10 points or something small. It wasn't, 
wasn't a huge deal. But it was a pretty good game, and we were kind of mopping the floor with them, so... And you know how I have creative ADD where I just constantly, it helps me not get bored with my hobbies like creating brutality and all that stuff. So currently I've got the majority of the brutal space game finished where I'm converting all of brutality to make spaceship battles. And it it sounds weird, I'm sure, but it actually moves, it translates beautifully. It's a very, very good game. And uh, I'm, I'm in the process of doing a bunch of, you know, cosmetic things and all of that to make that work. And then, of course, I'll also be doing Brutal Mech, Brutal Kaiju, which is a, another variation of that. And then ev- eventually Brutal Mass battle, mass Battles. And they're all based on brutality. Then I got thinking, after that tournament last week, when my shooters did absolutely effing nothing, right against the first turn like they killed not a single person and one game my tyrannifex never killed a single model despite shooting twice every single turn okay um i got frustrated because i was rolling shit for the first two games and i'm like what you know i mean not even statistical i mean you get six shots four up to hit you make two of them you two ups to wounds you wound once i'm like okay this is not even not even close um and I got frustrated. I'm like, you know what? There's no wargaming games that don't use dice. And if they don't use dice, they use a card system or something else for variation. But you know what? What if... To, so to me, the real strategy of wargaming is maneuvering and making things beneficial to you and se- setting yourself up for success, right? What if you made a war game? that was a mass battle game like Warhammer or whatever, and there was not a single dice or a single random number generated. And you're going to be like, oh, that's stupid, blah, blah, blah. Trust me. I have been playtesting. I've played three playtest games, uh, actually four, twice against myself, once against my wife, and once against my son. And I had an utter blast. You know what the outcomes are going to be, and it's whether or not you should make this choice or that choice. And every choice has a consequence. And I'm very excited to try that out. So I have just so many irons in the fire, but the Brutal Space is... Oh, I'm also working on the career mode and breach mode for my new Brutality Supplement. So that is what I'm doing. I'm always up... Oh, I'm also writing short stories for the Brutality Anthology. Boom. Got another one of those done too. So we are probably 70% done with that book. We're probably 60 or 70% done with the Brutal Space book. It's just, it's just a fun time all around. It's, uh, this is what tickles me. I get to pick whatever I feel like doing. I'm not under any real stress to perform, you know, um, and I can just do things as they fit my fancy. And this, um, diceless brutality mass battle game is super, super fun. And you're just going to have to take my word for it until I release it because it is fantastic. So anyway, um, I think that's it. I think that's basically it. So uh, let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. This is the Tesseract mailbox, and today we have an email from royalty. No, it's not the Duchess Fergie Ferg herself. It's a fictional royalty, Fire Lord Ozai. And I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Fire Lord Ozai is the big baddie in Avatar The Last Airbender. 
unless you change the name. I didn't look it up. It's Fire Lord Ozai is what you wrote. So uh, I also happen to know your real name because it showed up. But anyway, that's that's fine. I'm gonna use Fire Lord Ozai. So they um, Ozai in the show. I'm pretty sure his name was Ozai. I'm gonna look like a fool to all you Avatar: The Last Airbender people, but I believe the big baddie in that was Fire Lord Ozai. Hello, Pimkron. You mentioned that you needed emails, so here I go. I have always hated Space Marines. I think they are very boring. I have friends who love them, and they cannot understand why I have no love for them. I have always been put off by whatever the most popular thing is, and I guess that factors into my dislike of the Marines. I also find them boring to play against. When they were mid-tier, it wasn't an issue, but since 9th edition, they seem to have gotten much better, and I struggle against them more often than not. Oh, I play Gene Steeler Cult and Guard. Haven't yet jumped in t- into straight Tyranids, but thinking about it when they get their new book. Anyway, how do you feel about Marines? Is this as unpopular of an opinion as I think it is, Fire Lord Ozai? So thanks for writing in, Fire Lord. And um, we actually had a conversation, so I'm I'm answering him, but kind of. I mean, we I already discussed it with him in a private conversation. But anyway, just shut up. And this is for your sake, okay? Um. I actually, I actually like Space Marines as much as I bitch about them. Uh, I actually do like them. I like their look. I like their role. I like the way they act on the battlefield. I think they are a little um, powerful this edition. But you know what? They have been mid tier for basically as long as I have played Warhammer since Fifth Edition, and in the last decade they've been very mid tier. So it's it's you know this is their comeuppance. I think I think they um, deserve to be. It's kind of higher up on the tier list uh, for a while, and I think that's going to change as all the other armies get their new books too. Uh, the more damage two that we get, the more AP we get. Space Marines are going to kind of fall back down into the into the middle area there, and this is actually kind of coincidental. I don't know if you, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode, but I'm I was selling all my Space Marines, so I sold all my Celestial Lions except for just a handful of them to keep for sketches, the uh, what hammer sketches that I do, and um. Other than that, I sold all of them. And then just this week, I sold off all of my spurs of Space Marine stuff. I mean, I had, I basically had half of two Indominus boxes and half of two of the 8th edition starters of Space Marines, like still on the sprue. So I uh, went a little crazy on that. But all of that is out the window now. I am completely free of Space Marines, except for my Grey Knights, which I still really enjoy playing. So, um, the reason why, it's not because I hate Space Marines, it's because, um, everybody in my club, and I think I've mentioned this before, so I won't dwell on it, but everybody in my club plays Space Marines. Like, there's not a single player that doesn't play some version of Space Marines, whether it be Black Templar, or it's Grey Knights, or it's, uh, Ultramarines, or it's Blood Angels, or whatever, Space Wolves. So, it's like, I get sick of, I mean... I do get a little sick of playing against Marines constantly, but moreover, I don't like mirror matches where it's the same army versus the same army, especially Space Marines. So I never get to bring my Space Marines, and neither does just James. He doesn't bring his Space Marines either because of this fact that you know you'll be facing Space Marines. So having said that, I just decided, you know what, it's been more than a year since my Space Marines. I don't think I've played them once in 9th edition. I'm just getting rid of them. Like, just let's clean house. So that's what I'm doing. 
Um, but it's not because I hate Space Marines. I actually really like them. I just wish my opponents had more diversity in their armies because most of them only own one army and most of them play Space Marines. But I'm still happy to have players to play against, so I can't be too upset. Um, and at least you know what you're getting with Space Marines, more or less, you know? But um, no, I actually do think that your opinion is unpopular. I kind of see where you're coming from, but... Uh, like I said, I think Space Marines, it's their time to shine for a little while, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. And I certainly have seen the power creep catch up with them. You know, they started out really good, and now the other armies are getting... I mean, just look at Death Guard, for crying out loud. Death Guard is a legit army. Thousand Sons is a legit army. Even Grey Knights is doing pretty well, and Drakari. So, it feels like Necrons are probably the lowest tier there is uh, of the new books, but whatever. So, uh, I don't agree with you, but I do see where you're coming from. Thank you for writing in, Fire Lord Ozai. I appreciate it. You guys can write me at facebook.com slash pimpcron with one P or pimpcron at gmail.com with two P's and uh, send me some more letters, man. My, my, my basket's getting empty. I used up two of them last week with uh, Andrew and Leroy Jenkins. So, I'm, I'm just burning through these letters. Remember, we also have a voicemail that's in the show notes, so you can also leave a voicemail. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Welcome to this episode of Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today we are discussing what is essentially an extended Want That or Want That Not. Now, what we're discussing today is the White Dwarf magazine from Games Workshop. Now, if you'll recall, the White Dwarf magazine is Games Workshop's own published magazine, and they've been out since, I think, like the 80s. Uh, they used to do a bunch of D&D sort of stuff, because they did D&D miniatures. But, of course, it has evolved over the years, and it has become just basically a mouthpiece for Games Workshop. Now, going into this, I was thinking to myself that I did not have a very good opinion of White Dwarf, and I'm not going to let you know yet whether or not that has changed after this review. I personally have probably 20 or 30 of the old White Dwarves from the early 2000s, and I just absolutely love them. I've read them at least five times each over the years, um, and they've got a ton of things that really excite me in them. They do have some fictional stuff, they do have the letter column, they do have whatever the new hotness is that they're releasing, the typical things you'd expect, but the things that really got me interested in those old white dwarves, and the reason why they stay next to my bed to just lay in bed and read at night sometimes, is because of the hobby ideas. A lot of times Games Workshop seems to get a little overzealous with selling you product, and not necessarily just showing you how to hobby. You know, they might show you how to use contrast paint or, or the new glaze or whatever, but it's not kit bashing. It's not sculpting. It's not um, making a display board. It's all it's none of that stuff. Usually um, the more current years seems like they've lost that a bit. But the old ones, they had it nonstop. And even in their old books, they showed you I was looking at the what is it? Third edition or fourth edition? I think it's fourth edition codex. I was looking at the other day. And um, I was looking at their Kill Team rules, and I love that version of Kill Team from 4th edition. And in that rulebook, they show you exactly how to take different bits from different stuff and make your own warband or whatever, your own Kill Team, I guess it's called. Your own Kill Team for Eldar or, you know, Imperial Guard or whatever. And it's just, it's a really, really cool resource, and I love to see the 
unprimed model so you can see what is green stuff and what isn't, and then, you know, what's fully painted and how great it looks. So to me, that has been the thing that always inspired me the most. Um, there are battle reports in the old ones, and to be honest, I also prefer how those battle reports are done. They show you pictures, like, somewhat from far away of the board, and they have big, like, red arrows for movement, saying, oh, this unit moved up this far, or whatever, and they've got, I believe it's little skulls that show how many casualties were taken from a unit each turn, and it's very simple, it's very to the point, and you get to see the whole board, and it's not overly cumbersome. So I really like those old white dwarves. So recently, I wanted to get the Crusher Stampede stuff from the white dwarf, the um, because I was going to a tournament, which I already told you about. And of course, I could get it free online or whatever. But I figured, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to do this right. I want to have a copy on hand. I'm going to go ahead and buy the white dwarf because I don't subscribe to white dwarf. I see it at my store each week and I just gloss over it. And the reason why I gloss over it, because I love these old white dwarves a lot. I feel like they're actually made by hobbyists for hobbyists, people that actually play the game and enjoy the game, and not necessarily just a mouthpiece to sell new product from Games Workshop. So the reason why I have a negative opinion of White Dwarf as of late is really hearkening back to a couple years ago when they went to the weekly format of White Dwarf. Now this is, what, three years ago, something like that. And they started releasing four white dwarves a week, and they were about the thickness of, I don't know, a comic book, maybe a little thicker than a comic book, but it's, they were not what you're used to in a white dwarf, they're not the real thick white dwarf volumes, and I remember they had, like, you know, four features in them, they might have a battle report, they might have a new model, they might, it just... It totally was not worth it. And it, and back then, I did buy White Dwarves more often, and it completely turned me off from White Dwarf. So, fast forward several years, and I want this Crusher Stampede, so I went ahead and bought it. And, of course, the first thing I did was open it up and look for the Crusher Stampede stuff, look at my stratagems and all that stuff, which, right there, is a pretty neat feature of White Dwarf, is that they're constantly expanding your armies, they're giving you the, you know, your... I don't want to say FAQ, but updated rules for your stuff and different armies of renown and all of that. So right there is a check mark in the column of quality and value for this book. But after I looked at that, I kind of put the magazine away and I was like, I'm not reading this shit. So a couple days later, I um, my family, we are very big readers. We really enjoy reading. My kids, my kids, specifically my son beat the summer reading program every single year to the point where it was disheartening to the other kids in it, so he had to stop participating. When they're like, oh, read five books this summer, he'd read 12 or 15. Like, that's, that, our family reads a lot. And whether it's a, a magazine or a comic book or a novel or whatever, it's just, we just read a lot. So, we actually have a designated reading couch in the corner of our living room because our kids read so much. And I just recently actually put it in. We used to read in a chair in the corner, but now we have an actual couch that we bought and all of that. And I installed a really nice overhead light that is basically a vanity light, but um, it's a four foot long LED vanity light. And it's super nice for reading. So that couch has actually 
been way more conducive to us reading. So there's always someone in that couch reading something, whether it's the little girls or it's my son or me or whatever. So I was like, man, I'm going to go sit in that comfortable couch again. So I was looking around for something to read and I saw the white dwarf and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this thing, I'm going to give this thing a try. Let, let me just, let me just see what kind of pile heaping pile of shit this is. And then I can make fun of it on the air and just tear it apart. So I open it up and they've got all the things that you'd expect. They talk about the new models that are coming out. Um, the, I think it was the red Gobbo, the new red Gobbo. And they've got rules for that, which to be honest, at first I laughed at it, but I was like, you know what? This is actually kind of neat. Okay, this is the rules for the Red Gobbo. It does some things. I mean, it's not a great model. It's more for fun anyway. But I enjoyed reading that. I'm like, all right. So the letter columns are still there where they talk to White Dwarf, you know, fans right in. And I completely skipped that because I totally don't care. Then they get to a battle report where they've been doing this thing, a tale of four warlords or four generals or whatever you want to call it. And there's four staffers that, over the course of 2021, had been building, basically playing Escalation, or a Crusade, with their stuff. And I forget what it's called, uh, Path to Glory, I think it is, for Age of Sigmar. And they were doing Age of Sigmar armies. And they show what units those people have been painting. Like, oh, what'd you do this month? Oh, well, I painted a, you know, Glotkin, or whatever. And they keep a running tally of the points for each army. And... To be honest with you, at first I was like, ah, that's stupid. But the more I read into it, I was like, you know what? This is kind of cool to see somebody else's progress in their army. And yes, of course, it's to, I mean, it it goes without saying this entire thing is to sell more product, right? But it depends on how heavy-handed or nuanced they are with their actual trying to sell sell a product. And this, following these three people, is actually, to me, pretty neat and getting to see their models, and really that's what I'm there for. I want to see the models, I want to see really good pictures, I want to see well-painted miniatures and and converted and all of that. And when they did convert models, they told you, oh, this is apart from this, this is apart from that, and they didn't actually show them unpainted, but it was harkening back to those old white dwarves that I really enjoyed. So honestly, this is another check in the box of value and interest for me. Of course, your mileage will vary, you know, will differ, but I, so far, they've got two checks in my book. Uh, I'm not going to count the uh, letters column because that'll interest some of you. It just doesn't interest me. I don't think that letters column was like poorly written or anything. So they've got two check marks. Then we get to the battle report and they did uh, battle reports between the different warlords for this month. And to be honest with you, I found them not only hard to follow, but very uninteresting the tiny, tiny, minuscule, ridiculously ineffective amount of terrain that they had on these boards was just ridiculous. I mean, this is a company that is known for its beautiful pictures and its beautiful miniature photography and its beautiful scenery, and and they make all sorts of custom scenery for this and that, but then you have a war... You've got a, a, a Path to Glory fight... And I think they're paying playing 700 or 1,000 points, something like that. It was a smaller game. But you have one castle in the middle that they just move around the castle. You might, you might, if you're lucky, you'll get one set of Wildwoods. And I'm like, wow, that's really freaking boring. So basically, this round tower, 
I get to choose whether I go left around it or right around it. Come on, Games Workshop. Now, I do understand that they're probably trying to make the board as clean as possible so you can see all the miniatures in it and whatnot. I get the idea behind that. But to me, that was incredibly boring. I read one of them. I read part of another. And I just... This is definitely a detractor for me. Not the fact that it is a battle report, but the fact that the board looks bland as hell. I mean, it's super, super boring. And, um, yeah, so I, I truly didn't care about the uh, the results of these battle reports because I was so put off by the pictures were were so, so boring that I'm like, what kind of tactical decisions are you going to make with one castle in the middle? Like, there's just no... There's no character to it. And as I've said before, Terrain is the third player in a battle. So that, to me, is an X in the column of they they done effed up. Then they have a segment on the history, the product history, of the Lord of the Rings games. And it's this real long timeline of when they released each set and the new models that were in it and all of that. It's like three or four pages and that is a giant green check mark in their column for me. I devoured those pages. I love product history. I love that sort of thing. You can call me weird because a lot of you guys did not like my product history episode of Drakari, but I really enjoy that. So I thought that was awesome. So far, they're three and one. Three check marks to one X. Then. They showed how they made all sorts of dioramas for Lord of the Rings. They did Helm's Deep, and they did, I'm going to mess it up, but it's the place with the crypt where they fought the trolls and the goblins and all of that. Um, They showed the making of that, they explained how they made it, and they had excellent pictures of before and after, where, you know, everything was like foam board and clay and whatnot, and then after it was made, and they gave you little hints and tips and everything and that just I mean I don't know if I'm gonna get those pages pulled back apart without tearing them like they're they're just cemented together now because I was so excited that they did that and it hearkened way back to what I loved about the old white dwarves now that is check number four in the column there so it's four to one right now so surprisingly I find myself really enjoying this white dwarf. I can't believe I'm even saying that because it's not something that I thought I would ever enjoy. I just bought it for the Crusher Stampede stuff. Oh, they also had a really cool diorama of Frodo when he's um, up against that tree trunk. They actually looked at scenes from the movies and recreated them. And the the Wraith King, I'm not a big Lord of the Ring person. That, that big Spectre dude is going to come get him. And remember he puts the ring on? And they recreated that. Man, it was beautiful. And they show it prior to being painted and afterwards. Because if they just show you a picture of the after effect, you're like, okay. Like, you've got no idea the amount of effort that went into it. And they just, they knocked it out of the park, to be honest with you. They did, I think, four different scenes. And they explained everything, and that's what I like to see in here. Then they also had a bunch of narrative stuff. I know they had a Black Templar story. I think they had an Age of Sigmar story as well. And I think there might have been one other short story in there. And I got to be honest with you. I know a lot of you guys love the lore and all of that. But that totally does not interest me. I guess, you know, I used to read 40k novels. I used to be more into the 40k uh, backstory. I probably read four or five novels over my over the course of a couple years, and 
I used to be really into that, but I think now that I've got brutality, I've got my own world to explore and my own world that I'm absolutely passionate about. And I, and a world that literally lives in my head, the people, the places, the events, all of that lives in my head now. So I really have no interest in, um, living in someone else's world. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to give that a red X because you guys might really, really enjoy that. And I'm just letting you know that they had short stories in it, which I thought was really cool. Um, cool for you guys. I was not interested in them. I did not read them. I don't give a crap about their lore or anything like that. Then they also had some other things that I think bring value to the magazine. They may not have been um, applicable to me, but they did have a bunch of Flashpoint Octarius stuff for the new campaign, and they had some missions and whatnot. That's pretty cool. They had the stats for the new Sisters of Battle troops, whatever they're called, like the Acolytes or whatever, and that's really helpful. And they also had new battalion information and basically updating the um, Grave Lords um, to be AOS 3.0. And all that, once again, is not entirely exciting for me, but it is definitely a value that you're getting in that magazine. And... All of that, I'm going to lump all that up because it's basically the same thing into making this five to one in the five is good column. One is negative column. They also showed a uh, Lord of the Rings army someone's been working on and what he did to convert it and all that. That was neat. They didn't show the conversions, but it was neat to see the, the armies beautifully painted. They also have several different displays of things that, you know, people submit pictures of miniatures that have been painted, blah, blah, blah. So it was pretty cool actually. And the one other criticism that goes in the right hand column is that this magazine of course is made by Games Workshop and it sounds like it's made by Games Workshop. This is basically what it sounds like whenever they describe something. What you and I would normally say is I love playing my Black Templars army. Just love it. Here's an excerpt from their magazine when they say the same thing. I thrill in being the humble and unworthy owner of this finely crafted, perfectly executed Black Templar's premium miniatures range from Citadel Miniatures. I gaze upon my priceless force with pride and honor, knowing only one thing. I am not worthy. Citadel Miniatures has brought such happiness into my otherwise painful existence. I dare not think of a time where I could not grasp the stiff shaft of my high-quality Citadel brush and dip it ever so gently into the loving embrace of the creamy, quivering pot of premium Citadel paint. I make sure to thin my paints. Oh yes, my paints are wet. So wet that it begs to rub up against my finely sculpted miniatures running up and down the legs of my freshly primed models. The Citadel brand high-end primer spray I use is second to none to getting the job done. Within minutes, my models and I are enraptured in a tangle of passion and painting that I could never tell my family about. The erotic and intimate nature of my brush's gentle caress upon my army rises and rises into an explosive release of color upon the tabletop when I deploy them in again in my pants. I don't just love this hobby. This hobby loves me back each and every night. Now, you think I made that up? No, that's a real quote from the magazine. That's how they talk in this magazine. <laughs> For real, though, it does seem like everything is highly, highly pasteurized and censored, 
And, I mean, you can expect that because no magazine wants to be dropping F-bombs and talking bad about their miniatures, but some of the descriptors they use is like, good God, just just tell me that buying these miniatures is going to bring me to orgasm and just be done with it. Because this is like, you're playing with it, you know? You're just, you're just playing around with words. And I feel like, and this is obviously true, that you are never going to get an honest opinion of any of their miniatures because they are going to just be, you know, spraying semen everywhere over them. And... <laughs> Anyway, I saved that for last because I thought you'd like it. But um, anyway, I mean, all in all, this has actually rekindled my interest in White Dwarf. I do think that they are highly pasteurized, highly politically correct, highly, like, inoffensive would be the perfect word. It's like, it's not like I brought my men to the table. It's like, I brought my persons to the table. Like, okay, just, you know, it's just, it seems very corporate to me. But... The hobby stuff is clearly not corporate. The stuff where they're like, hey, I green stuff this. Oh, one thing I want to mention is they don't use the word green stuff anymore. So I guess because that's this is just another example of them being censored and all of that. My old white dwarves say, yeah, I use green stuff to make this scarf and I blah, blah, blah. And clearly it is green stuff, right? The two-part um, uh, putty. But... In these pictures, they're still clearly using green stuff because it's green and all that. But they're like, oh, I use I used sculpting putty or hobby putty. And I'm like, oh, come on. You can't fucking say green stuff. You can't say that just because heaven forbid somebody else's product is in your magazine. A product that you don't even make. Like, okay, dude, just whatever. So this magazine is not the end all be all. It is not the best thing that ever came out, but if you're a fan of magazines, which I am, I personally hate PDFs, hate them with a passion, I cannot connect to a PDF, I'm just looking at a screen, I don't like it. Um, I have really debated on starting a subscription to White Dwarf again. Having said that, I just did, like, a week before buying this White Dwarf, I did have a hankering for a miniatures war game magazine. And I just started a magazine subscription for War Games Illustrated. Now, I don't think they have any Games Workshop stuff in it at all. This is basically just War Games. A lot of it's historical or medieval or whatever. And I just wanted something that would have some hobby stuff in it. I just wanted to, like, you know, just look at what other games do and maybe read some battle reports and just... I don't know. I find non-GW hobbyists to be a little more authentic, in my opinion. And there's nothing against you guys. There's nothing against me. It's just that when you are not beholden to one miniatures company, like, oh, it's got to be Games Workshop or else. When you're playing all these historical games or whatever, you can buy your miniatures from wherever you want, as long as it's the right scale and the time period or whatever. So it seems to me like it's an older crowd that does these historical war games and, and other things like that. And it seems like they're more just down to earth in some degree where they're not concerned with the brand. Like there's no, Oh, look at my Nikes, look at my Reeboks, look at my whatever. It's not about that. It's not, Oh, who can pay the most for a miniature. It's more about the creativity and the expression that you did with it. Now I'm not changing to historicals cause they do, kind of don't interest me at all. It's certainly not enough to paint up armies and all that. Um, and White Dwarf is kind of nice because I am into Warhammer, and this stuff does apply to my interest. But 
the White Dwarf is only Warhammer. You know what I would really like, personally, is I would really like a magazine that does Games Workshop stuff and other stuff. Because it seems like Games Workshop has an embargo on anybody else doing their products. And probably also because Games Workshop is the biggest, so other companies are like, well, I don't need to support them. I'm going to support, you know, Perry Miniatures or Ramshackle Games or some other miniature company because Games Workshop is the is the top dog and they have their own propaganda machine in White Dwarf. Having said that, I did really enjoy White Dwarf and I'm certainly not going to pay for two subscriptions for magazines because these magazines are hella expensive. They're like 12 bucks an issue. It's like freaking ridiculous. Um, I'm going to see what Wargame Illustrated seems like. I'll probably give you a review of it, just like I did this White Dwarf. But overall, I would say that there's a good chance you're going to enjoy your White Dwarf. If you read it all, if you like hobbying, if you like battle reports, which I wasn't thrilled with their battle reports, but if you like all the new rules being released, all of that, you know, you might want to pick up a White Dwarf and see what it's got to offer. Because I was actually shocked. I went in, have you ever been into, went into a movie having a negative expectation for it? And when you come out, you had to admit like, you know what? That actually wasn't bad. I did enjoy myself in that movie, even though you had heard such bad stuff and whatever. Well, I had a negative impression of White Dwarf and I was actually sitting down so I could tear its butthole out on, on the air. And then I actually found myself really liking it. So Games Workshop uh, probably doesn't care for me from all the things that I've said over the years. And, oh, but they do know about me. Remember, when I did that interview with Alan Merritt, who was the head of all the intellectual property at Games Workshop, when I said I was Pimpcron, he knew who I was and said he'd read some of my articles. So I'm just saying Games Workshop certainly does know who I am when the upper-ups have read my articles. But, um, you know, I, I'm sure they would, they're not going to sponsor this uh, podcast or anything. So you know what I'm saying is authentic. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with the negatives to White Dwarf is that I don't feel like everything they say is authentic. They're not allowed to use miniatures from other companies. They're not allowed to kitbash from other companies. They're not allowed to... They are allowed to kitbash, but only within the Games Workshop toolbox. And that's the biggest drawback to this. I really do wish that there was a magazine that was like, you know... 25% Games Workshop, and then all the other armies, or the other companies. Something like that that was a true industry magazine. I don't think you're going to find that, but you know what? If you really love Warhammer, White Dwarf has my thumbs up. It's definitely a want that for me. And I think the final score was, what, 5-2 to two or something? It was it was pretty high. So thank you to my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons, looking at you guys, for supporting the show. I really do appreciate it. If it weren't for my Patreon patrons paying for all of the costs for this podcast, I don't think, I, there's no way I could have kept this going for so long, uh, truly. Um, just the, the storage and everything for the podcast, keeping 170-some episodes, 180 episodes in storage, cost me quite a bit each year. So you can thank them for allowing you to listen to all the back episodes whenever you want, and I certainly do thank them. Someone else who helps us a great deal is GameMat.eu. Go support them. Uh, they're a great company. Their owner is super, super nice. He's supported Shorehammer all these years. He's supported the podcast all these years. He's just he's just a great guy. Family man. Um, anyway, go support them. They have uh, 
game mats, obviously, right? The neoprene or whatever they're called, the mouse pad material. And they sell uh, pre-painted terrain and STL files and all that. So I will see you all next week. I love you all. Bye-bye.